From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Julie Conyers. She's a general surgeon at Peace Health Ketchikan Medical Center in Ketchikan, Alaska, a practicing rural surgeon who's practiced off the map across America. She says she chose to specialize in general surgery after she fell in love with it in her third year of residency. Her practices encompasses a wide range of procedures, as you'll hear, with particular expertise in advanced laparoscopic procedures and breast cancer surgery. But really, the breadth of surgery that rural surgeons perform is one of the things that I took away with uh, from her talk. She most recently served before going to Alaska as the vice chief of staff for the Tahoe Forest Multi-Specialty Clinic in Truckee, California, and has also worked in rural Idaho as well as Colorado. She received her undergraduate degree from Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado, a medical degree from the University of Colorado in Denver, and then did her residency in Denver before setting off on her journey from urban surgical care to very rural surgical care. In addition to her medical training, Dr. Conyers also has a physician executive MBA in healthcare, and we talk a bit about how to run a rural surgery practice. So Dr. Conyers, thank you so much for joining us today on the surgery set. You gave an amazing grand rounds um, discussing your, your journey into the wilderness. So you started as a surgeon in a, in a urban tertiary care center, and now you are in one of the most remote places in, in the country, if not the world. Yes. <laughs> it's been an unusual journey, but fun. Maybe just recap sort of the journey from Denver to, to Ketchikan, where there, there are no roads. Where there are no roads. Yes. Yeah, so uh, much of my practice, in fact, the first 16 years was in urban tertiary medical centers. I was in a large practice in Denver, many partners, lots of meetings, And then I transitioned to a solo practice in 2001 in Boise, Idaho. So that way I I could work much more efficiently and control my overhead expenses. So, however, in 2008, we wanted to be in the mountains, and that was our first love, and we were avid skiers. So we moved to McCall, Idaho, where I was the first surgeon in that facility, Although I had been coming up for five years as a visiting surgeon, and it's a town, it was a town of, it still is a town of 2,500 with a small 15-bed hospital. Wow. And then from there to California for to California, better skiing. For better skiing, right? So our daughter pursued her love for skiing. She was actually was educated at Sugar Bowl Ski Academy, which is a ski and scout ski academy, 20 minutes from our house. So then wow. we moved to Northern Lake Tahoe. Fantastic. Yeah, it was. And then that got to be too crowded. Pretty crowded, I yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's not at all crowded except for the... So then we transitioned, my husband and I, once my hus- my daughter went off to college, we transitioned to Ketchikan, Alaska. Which gets a million visitors a year. Yes. And has no roads. <laughs> and has no roads. So they all float in. Yeah. So they're either going to float in by cruise ship, by some other boat, or by plane. So that's just a million cruise ship passengers. We actually get other visitors as well. Wow. And you talk a lot in your Grand Rounds about how, as a rural surgeon in a place where the nearest major hospital is a, you said, $80,000 flight away sometimes, how do you maintain 
quality and ha and how do you know when what you can do locally is appropriate and when when you really do have to just call the plane well sometimes you may have to do both so sometimes the patient may be better off to be even surgically stabilized at our facility before we call the plane but ultimately we may need to transfer that patient for ongoing escalation of care that's a day-to-day -day adventure. So your resources are very dynamic in a small place. So one day you may not have any ICU nurses or you're out of ICU beds. And so you may make your decision based on your resources that are available that day or the respiratory tech called in sick and we're short on respiratory tech. So it's such a fragile resource environment that that call is made day-to-day. -day. One thing that really struck me is how extraordinary it is that I think as we, you know, for me growing up in tertiary care settings, and I, I was at the University of Washington, so we got a lot of phone calls from Ketchikan, but I don't know that I've ever had a real sense of kind of where what was actually going on at the places when they were calling uh, until your talk today. I mean, you don't have platelets. Like, right. there, there's some basic things that we sort of assume are there that that are just not part of everybody's healthcare, not only in the world, but in, in parts of the United States. And it seems to me like that that's obviously a limitation, but it's also sort of a cool opportunity for improvisation and oh, yeah. figuring out how to, how to do what you can with the resources you have. Sometimes you have to be pretty innovative. So you may have to go out to the closet or the shed and figure out how you're going to fix this feeding tube and because you just have to make it work with what you have. So you do have to be creative, but that is part of the fun yeah. as well. Yeah, and there is a there's a real wilderness left in the United States, which is amazing. Yeah. You tell stories about people, you know, taking float planes and skiffs and being carted around in lawn chairs to get to boat that will take them to an airport. Yeah, it's very remote there, and in Alaska is known as the last frontier, and it truly is unpeopled. So there are places you can go, not from where I live which may have never seen a human. You might have to drop in somehow, but it's, it's very, very remote. How do you think about your relationship with, with bigger centers? You, I mean, you do send patients to the University of Washington, I guess, from, from Ketchikan. You have relationships with a broader hospital system. Where does your relationship inform what you do with your patients? Well, the relationship is vital. So we do need to have downstream support. We do need these bigger setters to be able to accept our patients. I mean, sometimes they're full, so the inpatient realm is much dip different, but from the emergency room, the bigger centers have been very, very receptive in taking our patients. So, and we do think about what we can keep and what we can't keep, because it is so expensive to transport somebody. But the relationship is vital, and, and I think they're still underdeveloped. I think there's a lot more that we can develop with these relationships so that there's a mutual benefit for both parties. In my talk, I talked about communication. I think sometimes electronic health records is an impediment to communication. So what's the best way that, as caregivers, we can communicate with each other, particularly down to our referral centers? So... But they have been vital, and we also refer up to the Alaska Native Medical Center, which mm. is in Anchorage. 
so as well as Seattle. So there's both places. Unfortunately, some of these places we refer to, we it's like a, a black hole. We we never can get any records. We we don't know what happens, and then the patient circles back around in their in our emergency room. So this sort of communication is huge. We do have great communication with um, some of our referral centers by virtue of being able to share the same medical record. So these centers, I can load the films onto their packs they can have access to our medical records so we can communicate very well. Of course, picking up the phone, that's vital as well. Yeah. And I guess you're not the the most rural place at all, right? I mean, a lot of you, you are the tertiary care center for We're, these, our little these little communities of 25 yes, that are, are hours and hours yeah. away, right? So you, you're sort of actually in the middle. We're kind of in the middle. Yeah. And it, believe it or not, people actually fly and transport to our little center. Um, and, and we have voluntary EMS there, and, and that's a reasonable thing to do. So they will ship them or send them to our little center for either definitive treatment or stabilization before they need to go on to the next place. Do you do much outreach to these tiny communities where yeah. there's an NP or a PA? Yeah, we we are we fly to some of these islands. Um, so I remember one day flying to one of the islands. I It was a beautiful day, and we flew over a nuclear submarine. I thought, I have got the best job in the world. <laughs> but coming back, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were flying in weather with ice on the wings and... <laughs> <laughs> then I had to rethink all that. Yeah. But we do do outreach clinics. And so we have some outreach clinics in other islands as well. Wow. What to you would be the ideal for rural surgery? You know, five or ten years from now, you know, if, if you were in charge of all of it, how would rural surgery evolve and, and how would it integrate with big city surgery? Well, this would be a great model for essentially almost like the hub and spoke where, for instance, University of Wisconsin would be the hub. Mm -hmm. And they're affiliated with multiple rural centers. Um, and they could help provide educational support, which is very much needed, not only just for physicians and surgeons, but for the ancillary staff as well. Um, they can provide, you know, the referral center report where, where, or support where we can send the patients, but also bring them back home for the care. Access is, is a huge issue for us when we need to access the, the big centers that we can. And, and sometimes I think that can be a challenge for everyone. But also supporting us to be able to provide surgical services and provide them at the same caliber that a patient would see in an urban setting. So we want to be that good in rural surgery. We don't want to just kind of slide along. Um, so that's very important. I think also helping us with our data. So we have so many challenges in rural surgery and rural care because our, our data sets are very small. So sometimes I think that we could get some downstream help with that. How, how do we work that? How do we get meaningful data? Yeah. And you make the point that, I mean, you're not low-volume hobbyists, right? right? As, yeah. as some people have said in articles, you know, that rural surgeons actually, when compared to the best of our ability with relatively low numbers, you know, to tertiary care centers actually have great outcomes for common operations, for common which operations. make up a lot of the operations that people need and don't want to travel seven hours by float plane to, uh, to have done somewhere else, 
Right. So I think we're starting to see that what we commonly do, we seem to be doing pretty well. We're also starting to see that we are probably doing pretty well with our patient selection so that we shouldn't be operating on patients that should not be at our facility. Yeah. And, I mean, thank you for the the plug, but uh, just to, because it's our podcast, we can say, we are actually developing um, some of the things that you're talking about here. Um, Caprice Greenberg, who uh, was speaking at the end of your talk, uh, is developing the Surgical Collaborative of Wisconsin, which is uh, going to be, we hope, sort of that network that reaches out to rural physicians um, that provides them a sort of center to, to compile all the data from multiple hospitals to be able to do comparisons and understand what people can and can't do effectively far from tertiary care. Um, and that hopefully some of the work that I'm doing as well in, in telementoring through this thing we have here called Project Echo um, can provide some resources to, to people in the community. And the early experience that I've had with that has been that it's it's actually really effective to um, to get on a teleconference as opposed to like a phone or email and actually see the person and have a conversation. Um, and you talk a little bit too about how they, the internet has improved things, right? Oh yes, it's. I mean, it used to be kind of a commitment to isolation to work as a rural surgeon, but it, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. So we are now connecting with each other, and there are ways to connect with our referral centers. But I think the telementoring is a huge opportunity that we could develop uh, just in our country. So I hope to see more of that. And connecting to major medical centers through just virtual connectedness. Yeah. So we, we can do that. It's, there's, there's so much more. Right. So that we truly become more of a hub and spoke and less of a tower and islands. Exactly. I think it's going to be more and more difficult for small rural hospitals or just rural hospitals to work in a silo. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to be more connected with a bigger place. Yeah. And the bigger places are going to have to be willing to be connected to these smaller places and to have that crosstalk, to, to be able to send patients back to you with a complete record and a plan and an ability to share that management. Right? Exactly. And I, and I think that's huge. And I think often just picking up the phone and, and speaking with each other is just, that's just enormous steps in understanding patient care. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, making the trip down to what maybe feels warm to you. Uh, <laughs> Madison in, in December. Actually, uh can's in a temperate rainforest. So we actually, we don't get too cold. We get very wet, though. <laughs> 12 feet of rain. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. that makes my Seattle days seem yeah, yeah. like Dry. nothing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, thanks again. Thank and um, thanks for, for an amazing talk. If people want to see it, it'll be linked off the website. We hope to see you back again soon. It was my privilege. Next time on The Surgery Set, I'll speak with Dr. Zara Cooper. She's an assistant professor of surgery at Harvard Medical School, where she does research to improve end-of-life care through the National Institutes of Aging. Dr. Cooper and I have a great talk about the ethics and palliative care education for surgical residents and fellows. Hope you'll join us. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. 
Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health Video Library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope you check back soon. On Wisconsin.